The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Okay, we're in Deuteronomy 33, 6 through 11. Let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few. And this he said of Judah, Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and may you be a help against his enemies. And of Levi he said, Let your Tumim and your Urim be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Massa, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him, that they rise not again. In the previous sermon, magnificent and splendid words began the blessing of Israel by Moses. It was as a flower of beauty, slowly opening with each word. Today, the petals of this precious rose continue to gradually unfold and present themselves to us. We will see the rather concise and curt blessing upon Reuben. From there, a short but most majestic blessing will be pronounced upon Judah. And then, Words of remembrance mingled with words of petition are brought forth from the lips of Moses toward those of his own tribe, Levi. The words were spoken, they have been recorded, and they remain as a memorial before the Lord as well as an instrument of instruction for Israel and for us. It is hard to imagine that the Lord would give them, allow them to rest upon the people through good and bad, and then have the people come to a sudden and crushing end without any hope of restoration or remedy. But this is what much of the church has decided has occurred. Israel disastrously did not heed. They failed to recognize the time of their visitation, and the Lord cut them off forever. Does that sound like the covenant-keeping Lord that we have seen throughout the books of Moses? It doesn't to me. Our text verse comes from Luke 1. It is verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. 
It is true that the covenant of the Lord with Israel through Moses contains many stern warnings and curses, but it is also very precise in how it presents them. We have seen this time and time again. Moses speaks of cutting off the people, but never of cutting off the nation. The continuous movement of the words he has presented, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, have been precisely chosen and laid before us to show that this is not the case. Moses simply builds upon what the Lord has already said earlier in the law. For today, there is less of that type of speech and more of a carefully selected line of thought that provides hope and assurance to the individual tribes, while at the same time revealing really marvelous hints and pictures of the coming Messiah. Woven into the words are also some unique patterns, linguistic nuances, and literary forms to help guide us in the often obscure nature of the words themselves. I do hope that you will be pleased and even tickled with how these three blessings unfold. It was a joy to search them out, and now I joyfully present them to you. And I say that having woke up thinking, I don't want to be alive today. I was so tired. I think it's because of the antibiotics. It's my last day of it. They're done as of last night, but I was not wanting to come to church today. But I'm very happy and joyful now. So there you go. Precious and wonderful things are to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought today is the blessing upon Reuben and Judah. It's verses 6 and 7. Verse 6, let Reuben live and not die. The words are simple and direct in Reuben's blessing, and yet they are also quite complicated and even obscure in meaning. Hence, they are highly debated. In them are three jussives, or indirect commands or petitions. The first two are found in this clause alone, Yehi Ruben ve'al yamot, may live Reuben and not may die. The blessing of Reuben is one of life. The reason for Moses stating this is that despite being the firstborn, Reuben was already removed from the honor and position of the firstborn because he slept with his father's concubine Bilhah. That is found in Genesis 35 verse 22. Upon his death, Jacob's blessing upon his sons did not reflect favorably upon Reuben. Here's what he said. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, you shall not excel because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. The last thing he ever said about his son was, in the, what, the third person, he. Doesn't even say you. Later, when the rebels came against Moses in the wilderness, some of the main insurgents were of the tribe of Reuben. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliav, and On, the son of Pelet, sons of Reuben. Despite their troubled past, Moses' petition is for Reuben's continuance. May live Reuben and not may die. However, the next clause is what becomes difficult and debated over. Verse 6 continues, Nor let his men be few. The third Joseph is seen in this clause, Vehi metav mispar, and may his men number. Despite being just three words in the Hebrew, there are pages of commentary on what Moses is saying. First, the word mispar, or number, signifies that which can be counted. 
if this is an independent clause, the meaning is the same as that found in Deuteronomy 4, verse 27. There it says, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. In other words, it's a very small number. As such, it is a countable number. May live Reuben and not may die, and may his men be few. But a number may be a way of saying an indeterminate number, and thus may live Reuben and not may die, and may his men be unnumbered. In other words, a large multitude. Or if a number is tied to the previous words, it would also be a large number because the not would carry on to the second clause. May live Reuben and not may die, and not may his men be few. And to throw a monkey wrench in that almost nobody would see coming, an ancient Greek translation of this verse inserts the name of <coughs> Simeon here. This is because there is no other mention of Simeon in his entire blessing upon the tribes. May live Reuben and not may die, and may the men of Simeon be few simply because we're following the Hebrew and because there is only one negation. I would go with the most literal translation and say that Moses is petitioning that Reuben not be extinguished as a tribe and being charitable, he is asking that he become an uncountable number. The use of three justs in the verse seems to exclude carrying the word not over to the second clause. Moses is directly petitioning with clarity and precision. May live Reuben and not may die, and may his men be number. In other words, a large number. It is then a blessing for continuance and a petition for growth without a set limit. As such, Reuben, or C, a son, would picture Christ who did live and did not die in the sense that he was never cut off because of his own sin. And he is also increased to an innumerable number, as is testified to in Revelation 7. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Simeon, then, has no blessing at all. Jacob's blessing of Simeon was joined with that of Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel." Because Simeon was to be divided and scattered, and because his tribe will be assimilated into Judah's land grant, they would, for all intents and purposes, be assimilated into Judah as well. As such, the blessing upon Judah should be taken at least partially, even if not intentionally at this time, as also falling upon Simeon. Because of this, the words of Moses continue with this fourth son of Jacob, who is next blessed even before the third son, Levi. Now, before I go on, I want to tell you that there are some amazing patterns that are in this as well. You'll see a little bit of that introduced today, but what you're seeing right now goes a lot deeper than what you're having explained to you. It is a marvelous piece of literature, just like the Song of Moses, just so you're aware of that. Verse 7, 
And this he said of Judah. The introductory words are so short and precise in the Hebrew that it is hard to not see them in something stately and majestic, as if it is being proclaimed at the coming of a king. It says, Vezot lihuda, and this to Judah. One can almost sense the blast of a trumpet drawing all attention to what will be proclaimed as he heralds the royal arrival. And this to Judah. Verse 7 continues, Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah. Vayomar shema Yehovah kol Yehuda. And he said, Hear, Yehovah, voice Judah. The blessing of Judah calls attention to his voice. Although we would be here for the next week or two, or longer, if we were to sufficiently evaluate the meaning of this, it can be summed up in the thought that a great portion of Scripture is based upon the voice of Judah. It was building throughout the time of the judges, but it was heard in the most resplendent manner as the young shepherd boy from Bethlehem called forth to the great foe of Israel. You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. From that time on, the voice of Judah fills the pages of the Psalms, the historical writings, the books of wisdom, and the words issued forth as prophecy. And then the voice of Judah was heard in the most unique way of all, in the first recorded words of the Lord Jesus. Why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? At that time, and for the rest of Scripture, the voice of Judah is truly realized in the way which Moses now intends. He knew the words of Jacob when he blessed his fourth son, and he thus knew that the line of the Messiah was fixed through him. Here's what Jacob said to his son, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall arouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. There it is, the Messiah coming through Judah. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. The voice of Judah, which means praise, is the praise of God because he is the praised of God. The voice of Judah is the voice of the word of God that speaks forth life. The voice of Judah is the battle cry for the people of God to follow their king. The voice of Judah is the roar of the lion and the humble call of the servant. The voice of Judah is ultimately the voice of Jesus, the Lord. Verse 7 continues, And bring him to his people. Ve'el amo tevienu. And unto his people, bring him. Immediately, this refers to the tribe. Judah was separated from Israel, being the southernmost tribe, and thus somewhat isolated from the rest. 
Throughout the Bible, Judah continues in the state of semi-separation. However, Ezekiel prophesied of a time when Judah would be inseparably united to Israel. Here's what he says. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, as for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them to one another for yourself in one stick, and they will become one in your hand. And when the children of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not show us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will join them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand, and the sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes, fulfilled in today's people of Israel." The words of Moses, however, are certainly looking ahead in anticipation even more precisely than this. He is remembering the blessing of Jacob, and he is specifically calling forth for the coming of Messiah to be brought to his people. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting the voice of Judah through Micah of Moreshet, which is in the tribe of Judah, called forth for the coming of Israel's ruler who would be from Bethlehem Ephrata, also in the tribe of Judah. Verse 7 continues, let his hands be sufficient for him. The words are obscure and even complicated. Yada rav lo, his hands abound to him. The Greek reads contend. And because of the difficulty, many translations follow the Greek, saying, his hand contends for him. The word is rav. It signifies abundance, enough, many, mighty, and so on. It is a sort of superlative in whatever it is referring to. As the hand is that which accomplishes things, I would say the intent is something like, he is fully sufficient to perform, be it in war, productivity, salvation, deliverance, and so on. As such, Judah has the strength to carry itself and its purposes through. In anticipation of the greatest of Judah, meaning Jesus, one could look to the words of Isaiah to find the ultimate intent of Moses' words right now. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I, who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. With this in mind, the next words of the blessing might seem contradictory, but this is not the case. Verse 7 continues, And may you be a help against his enemies. And help from his enemies may you be. 
if the hands of Judah abound in might, then why would they need the Lord to help them? But the words are comparative. Judah is considered to be capable of meeting and defeating its foes. But even the mightiest nation cannot prevail if the Lord is not with it. This has been and it will continue to be seen. If the Lord purposes triumph, there will be triumph, if by many or by few. And if the Lord purposes defeat, then it will come without regard to number. And again, the words of Moses towards Judah are but a reflection of words that apply to the ultimate son of Judah. Though in one way he is mighty to save, working out salvation by his own arm, he is fully dependent on the Lord who sent him forth. It says, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Not only are the two clauses not contradictory, whether referring to Judah or to Jesus, they show the total dependence of them upon the Lord. And the Lord is with both, helping them against the foes who have risen against them. There is a story to be found in the tribes of Israel. There is God working out his plan. Each detail calls out, I have something to tell, something that leads to the redemption of man. The names of the tribes are carefully given. One shows one thing and the next shows another. Each points to the greater story of hope-filled living. When Christ would come, Israel's greatest son and brother. The things they did and the lives they lived out are recorded in the Bible for us to read and to learn. The stories are given for us to see and have no doubt the marvelous majesty for which our souls now yearn. Christ is coming, so the word does tell, and hints of him are found in the stories of Israel. Our second thought today, the blessing upon Levi. It's verses 8 through 11. And of Levi he said, Ule Levi Amar. And to Levi he said, Levi is the third son, and he receives the third blessing, even if it is out of order because of Simeon's inclusion or assumed inclusion in the blessing of Judah. It is the tribe of Moses. It is the tribe of the priestly class. It is the tribe that has no land inheritance, but instead is to be found throughout the land in the Levitical cities. To Levi, he says, verse 8 continues, let your tumim and your urim be with your holy one. Tumecha veurecha leish chasadecha. Your tumim and your urim to man your godly. The blessing of Levi concerns his office and duties. Here is a new word, chasid. It is an adjective signifying kind, godly, pious, and so on. It is mostly found in the Psalms, and at times it is rendered saint. Levi is spoken of here as a godly man who possesses the special stones, the perfections, and lights used to determine the will of the Lord. They are what receive the infallible truths and revelations divulged by God. Of the five times these stones are mentioned together, this is the only time that the Thummim is stated before the Urim. There's no explanation for this. 
and there are various conjectures as to its meaning. Why is it this way? Some imaginatively elevating one precept over the other. But I would think that this is a way of saying that both are on an equal standing. In other words, if it always said Urim and Thummim, one might think that lights, meaning God's revelations, comes first and then perfections or his infallible truths are based upon those revelations. But in stating it as Thummim and Urim here, Moses is indicating that they are both of the same substance. God's revelations are revealed in infallible truths, and his infallible truths are conveyed in his revelations. In essence, they are two sides of the same coin. The godly nature of Levi is to be revealed in the coming clauses. For now, verse 8 continues, whom you tested at Massah, Asher Nisito Be Massah, whom you tested in Massah. The name Massah means testing. Hence it says, whom you tested in testing. There's nothing directly stated of Levi concerning what occurred in Massah, which is the account given in Exodus chapter 17. As such, it leaves one wondering, what is Moses talking about? But the next clause helps alleviate the difficulty. Verse 8 continues, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah. Terivehu alme Meribah. You strived with him upon waters Meribah. The name Meribah means place of quarreling. The Lord strived with Levi at the place of quarreling. This was when Moses and Aaron were to speak to the rock and have water issue forth. Instead, Moses struck twice the rock with his rod. The connection between the two is that the event at Massa occurred just shortly after having departed from Egypt, and the event at Meribah occurred just as the spies were investigating the land of Canaan. As such, they encompass as bookends the entire time at Sinai when the law was given. Once the spies returned, the people rejected the word of the Lord, and they were punished with being exiled into the wilderness. As we have repeatedly seen, that is emblematic of the past 2,000 years of exile for Israel. As such, Moses' words now look to the time of the administration of the law. Next, Moses takes us back to the time of the giving of the law. Verse 9, who says of his father and mother. Levi is referred to by a verb prefixed by an article. Ha'omer le'abiv u'le'imo, the sayer to his father and to his mother. Here it is referring to Levi as an individual, a collective whole. He says, verse 9 continues, I have not seen them. It is singular. Lo retitiv, not I have seen him. The mother is the wife of the father, and so the singular stands for both. The father and the mother are there, but it is as if they are not seen, and they are not regarded. The same attitude is again seen in the next words. Verse 9 continues, Nor did he acknowledge his brothers, the et echav lo hikir, and his brothers, no regard. Moses says that even though Levi had brothers, his mind was not on them when called to do what he must do. Moses is making a point about Levi's priorities. Moses next says, verse 9 continues, or know his own children, ve'et banav lo yada, and sons, no, no. Any children of Levi are as if they are not even his when he is called to act. 
Levi has not seen the parents before him. He has not regarded the brothers around him, and he has not known his own sons. Despite them being the closest of family relationships, Moses speaks of Levi's priorities. What is it that Levi has put first? To tell us, Moses slips into the plural. Verse 9 continues, For they, plural, for they have observed your word. For they have heeded your word. The plural now speaks of the people of the tribe. They are Levi, but they are also Levites. The actions of the people are what is now being highlighted. The word of the Lord takes precedence over even the closest of family relationships. If parents, siblings, or even children come between a person and the Lord, they are to be overlooked, disregarded, and treated as a stranger. Nothing can come between the faithful and the word of the Lord. Do you feel that way in your own heart and in your own life, that the word of the Lord comes first before anybody, even family? Levi accepted the premise and applied it. Verse 9 continues, and kept your covenant. And your covenant they have guarded. The covenant of the Lord, which is based upon the word of the Lord, must take priority. To not heed it is to find death. To heed it is to find life. All family relations will end, but the covenant and the word remain. Levi was presented with a choice. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man is opposed his son and his brother. This incident is what Moses is referring to now. Levi has put the word of the Lord and his covenant first. They went throughout the camp without recognizing faces, and they slew any who came before them. Because of this, they were granted the high honor of the priestly class and of those attached to them. This then explains why Moses chose Massa and Meribah as his points of reference. Because those two events encompass the time of the giving of the law, from redemption out of Egypt until standing at the door of Canaan, their zeal for the Lord was a highlight among all of the failings of Israel, and indeed, all of the failings of Levi, including those of Moses and Aaron. What they did was a demonstration of what the Lord finds pleasing above all else, meaning attendance to his word. That's why we call this church the superior word. We're on Superior Avenue. This is God's word. It fit because it is where our attention and our priority is to be. The word of God must take precedence in our lives or he does not take precedence in our lives because the word of God is a reflection of who he is. Because of their moment of faithfulness, verse 10, they shall teach Jacob your judgments. They instruct your judgments to Jacob. Moses uses the word yara, which is to shoot as an arrow. 
As such, it gives the sense of pointing out, as if aiming by the finger. Hence, it is instruction in the judgments recorded for them. Further, verse 10 continues, And Israel, your law, Vetoratecha le Yisrael, and your law to Israel. This is still an explanation of the verb yara, and thus the two clauses are set in parallel. Just as they point out the judgments of the Lord to Jacob, so they point out the law of the Lord to Israel. The substance of the clauses is simply a poetical parallel. They instruct, that's the first couple words, and then here are the clauses. They instruct your judgments to Jacob and your law to Israel. Verse 10 continues, they shall put incense before you. They shall put incense in your nostril. This and the next clause are again parallel thoughts. In this clause is a word found only here in scripture, ketorah. It signifies the smoke of incense. This is specifically speaking of the twice daily mandate to burn the specially compounded incense, which was then presented each day before the Lord, morning and evening. Remember that? They were to have this incense presented to the Lord. Here's what it says in Exodus 30. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense. Every morning when he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Along with that, verse 10 continues, and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bekhalil al and holocaust upon your altar. The words speak of the second twice daily offering made to the Lord. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar: two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Before I go on, what do those two offerings picture? How do they picture Christ? The perfect sacrifice, but there's more, one in the morning, one in the evening. The first one was offered at the time Christ's passion on that day began. The last one ended when he died on the cross. So it's a picture of the entire time that he was facing his final judgment before the Lord. Every single thing about this passage, every grain offering and the oil, everything pictures Christ. Go back and watch the sermon. This shall be a continual burn offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you. The words of this verse then speak of the honor and the responsibilities given to Levi because of their act of faithfulness to the word and the covenant of the Lord. The clauses are parallel as they describe the twice daily duties that are actually both things that rise up before and to the Lord. They put, that's the beginning of it, they put incense in your nostril and holocaust upon your altar. Because of this, Moses calls for a special blessing upon them. Verse 11, bless his substance, Lord. The words return to the second person singular. Barech Yehovah Chelo, bless Yehovah his activity. The word chayil speaks of the force of something. This is probably speaking of the future state of the tribe. 
In other words, bless his activity is asking for a blessing upon what Levi would accomplish in the future. They have their duties to perform, and Moses is asking for a blessing upon that. This appears to be what is being conveyed, but there is a reason for it that will take completing this entire verse to first understand. And more, verse 11 continues, and accept the work of his hands. Upo'al yada tirseh, and deed his hands accept. The word work or deed is singular. This is then parallel to the previous clause, and it refers to the future work of Levi in a collective sense. All of his works are one work. As such, it is asking the Lord to accept their work in presenting the offerings, teaching the people, and so on. One can see the obvious parallel between the two. Bless Jehovah his activity, and deed his hands accept. Next, Moses asks for a future blessing against any foes of Levi. Verse 11 continues, strike the loins of those who rise against him. Mechatz metanaim kama, shatter loins rising against him. Some equate this to the rebellion of Korah from number 16, but that was as much an internal rebellion as anything else. Instead, this is a petition to protect and defend not just the priesthood, but all of Levi. The priests were the mediators of the law between God and the people, and the Levites then stood between the priesthood and the people. Moses is calling for those who would oppose this divinely instituted system to be shattered so that they cannot stand against them again. And more, verse 11 finishes with, and of those who hate him, that they rise not again. There is a stress in the Hebrew on the last word, Umesana min yakumun, the end at the end of that word gives its own stress. And those hating him from their rising. The exclamation point attempts to give the sense of what is conveyed when I put an exclamation point at the end of it. He's giving an emphasis to you. This and the previous clause are set in parallel, but they are marvelously structured to overlap in their presentation. Here's how it looks. I'm going to explain this and the people online will have no idea what I'm talking about. Shatter loins, those rising, the word kum, against him. And those hating him, which goes those rising against, from their rising, the word kum. So if you look at it, there's all kinds of beauty in the internal structure of this set of words. Moses is asking for the Lord's protection for the priesthood, bringing their enemies low so that the priests can continue with the ministrations of the law without interference. Now, it gets kind of complicated and beautiful at the same time. Taking the clauses of verse 10 and 11 together, one can see another parallel that is set forth. Here it is. They instruct your judgments to Jacob, that is Levi's work and your law to Israel, that is Levi's work. They put incense in your nostril, that is an offering rising, and holocaust upon your altar, that is an offering rising. So you've got Levi's work, and then you've got something rising. The next set of words, bless Jehovah his activity, that's Levi's work again, and deeds his hands accept, that's Levi's work again. Shatter loins rising against him, that's protection from rising enemy and those hating him from their rising. Again, protection from rising enemies. So you've got this wonderful internal structure that you would never know unless you took the time to put it in the way it was originally structured by Moses. It is beautiful. One can see that because of the work of Levi, 
to present offerings, Moses is asking for the work of Levi to be uninterrupted by any enemy rising. Nothing is to interfere with that work. With that noted, another parallel exists that is seen in the final two clauses of the blessing upon Judah, which matches the final four clauses of the blessing upon Levi, meaning the work and the protection. His hands abound to him, the work of Judah and the Lord, and help from his enemies may you be, protection from the enemy for Judah, the Lord. Judah anticipates the coming Messiah, but so does Levi. Everything about the priests, the Levites, their duties and their offerings, all of it anticipates and typologically pictures the work of Jesus. Hence, one can see why Moses linked the blessings of Judah with those of Levi, but also why he placed Judah first. Judah anticipates Christ in his person, while Levi, as a tribe, more closely anticipates Christ in his duties. In the end, everything is anticipating the coming of Messiah and of what he would do in the fulfillment of this law. It is a law that served its purpose well. It used fallible people who ministered it on behalf of fallible people who lived under it in order to show the impossibility of it bringing man any closer to God. The problem did not, however, exist in the law. Paul makes that explicit in the book of Romans. Rather, it exists in those under the law. Their defect, sin, is what kept this law from performing its purpose. In the identification of this defect, the need for one without sin to fulfill it becomes evident. Hence, we had our resurrection sermon a couple weeks ago, and we went into detail about why this was necessary. And more, it highlights the need for it to end and for a new covenant to enter into the fabric of God's redemptive workings. Thank God for Jesus and the new covenant. It would need to be a law based upon the work of the one without defect, but which would grant that same state of perfection to those who enter it. This is what Christ did. He completed the mission set before him. He fulfilled the law that stood against us, and he then offers his righteousness to us, not through the law, but through faith in his fulfillment of the law. It is what we might call the greatest deal of all time. And it is a deal that extends to all time. God has made the offer and he asks you to accept him at his word. Adam blew it. The law highlights that fact. Now I have done this for you. Just accept that my word is true. May you carefully consider this and may you receive the marvelous gift that God has extended to you and may you do so today. The reason why I say that is because Paul writes in the New Testament, behold, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. We have no idea if we're going to be alive 20 seconds from now. We might walk out the door. You might even choke on the uh, Lord's Supper today. I hate to say it, but you don't know. You have no idea what's coming. We had a girl that I emailed me. I actually emailed her first, kind of wake people up in the morning when I'm bored. I <laughs> sent Jody an email and I said, Jody, how are you doing today? And I get back this email saying, oh, I'm so sick. And I, you know, I thought it was food poisoning, which she's had before. And so I was very careful to abuse her. Oh, you'll get through that. But, oh, you know, I was just giving her the typical razzing I give people. And then a couple hours later, I came home from my morning work and I said, hey, how are you? You know, I hadn't heard anything back. What's up? And her sister had her phone and it said, this is Travis. And my heart 
sank. I was like, oh my gosh. And then I come to find out that here she said she's in having a CT scan right now. That doesn't sound good. I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going on? This is a girl that thought she had food poisoning just a short time before. And the next thing you know, she's being ushered in for an appendectomy, however you say that. She's got to have her appendix taken out. Okay, that's lethal. If she had left when she was supposed to, to go up to uh, Pensacola. Uh, Pensacola, if she had left and then that happened, who knows what would have happened. She would have just laid there thinking, I'm sick, and she may have just died on a hotel bed or something. Okay, but her sister was wise enough to say, hey, we got a problem. Let me check you out. And so they went and took her down to the hospital, and she was fine by the evening. I went down to visit the nice campus. If you guys want to go to a hospital, which you don't want to, but if you do, go to the new Sarasota Memorial Campus. It is clean. It is beautiful. If you want to get admitted for some reason, go to that hospital. It was beautiful. She had a whole big room all to herself with a couch for her to sit on and a chair for me to sit on. It was great. Anyway, I don't mean to divert from that, but I just wanted you to know that we don't know when our time could end. That was the point. Not the hospital thing, but we don't know. So be ready. And here's the simple gospel. Christ died for your sins. That means you're a sinner. If you don't believe you're a sinner, he cannot help you. I'm sorry. There is no way that that wall can be taken down except by you. Christ died for your sins. Christ was buried, meaning he went into the grave with your sins. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Christ rose again, meaning that he had no sin of his own. He came out of that grave proving that he is God and he is the sinless man. And it also proves that your sin is taken away forever. It is buried and done. Please believe that simple gospel message and you will be saved. And then you won't have to worry about now is the time of God's favor because you will be in God's favor. Please do it today, okay? And stay out of the hospital, okay? Okay, our closing verse comes from Romans chapter 5. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Thank God for Jesus Christ. I can't read those words without being overwhelmed every time I come to them. Next week is Deuteronomy 33, 12 through 17. Moses will continue to bless the tribes until the blessings are through. It's entitled, Moses Blesses Israel. Part two. That'll be our 101st Deuteronomy sermon. Thank you, Jay. He's been practicing all week to get that. He got it perfectly, perfectly executed. Okay, I'll tell you, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. But he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Short poem today. Moses Blesses Israel, part one. Oh, before I give it, let me ask you a question. Very easy. Somebody will get this immediately. Okay? Isaiah 1 verse 18 asks us to come and do what together? Reason. Reason. Come and let us reason together, says the Lord. We do not check our brains when we come into a church. We do not check our brains when we pick up the Bible and say, I'm going to go to the first thing that comes to my hand. 
and I'm going to say, that's a sign for me. Oh, let me see. Let me just, first thing that comes to my hand. So Gideon said, for this cause, when the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh, oh no, tear your flesh with thorns of the wilderness and with briars? I'm going to have a bad day today. We do not do that in the church, okay? Come and let us reason together, says the Lord. My brother gets a flight on a YF-22 today. I'm going to take you, I'm going to bring your little bag because I'm going to, I'm going to take you in some loops. Okay, here we go. Let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few but be numbered high. And this he said of Judah, hear the Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people as you please. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and may you be a help against his enemies. And of Levi he said, let your Thummim and your Urim be with your Holy One days unended, whom you tested at Massa, and with whom you at the waters of Meribah contended. Who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children until the wrath was spent, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. In this they shall not falter. They shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands among men. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him, that they not rise again. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the blessing of knowing your word and to study it and to be close to it because it is our life. Until Jesus, our life comes. And may that day be soon. We long for the day when we can be in your presence away from these bodies that fail us and that give us trouble. Lord, we certainly lift up the people we mentioned at the beginning of this service and the troubles that they're facing, the trials and the uh, difficulties, the hopes, the wishes, all of those things that people have in them Tend to your people, Lord, and help them through their trials or just take them away if it's your will. This is what we would pray for. Lord, thank you. Thank you for taking care of Jody in the past couple days. Thank you for tending to the other people that have sent in praise reports over the past few days. You're so good to us. Thank you. And we've got people that are traveling in the week ahead. We pray for them and safe travels. Lord, we know that you hear these things, so please understand that our hearts are open to you so that you may search them out and, and find out the prayers that even go unstated. We pray this, that you will be glorified, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.